Good afternoon. You're listening to KFSK News for Tuesday, October 24th. I'm Hannah Floor. Coming from those who say the Pollock trawl fishery is playing a part in fueling the western Alaska salmon crisis, increasing pressure has been put on the North Pacific Fishery Management Council to take action to limit the number of chum salmon scooped up at sea. In Bethel, Evan Erickson has more about the council's latest move on chum management. At its October meeting in Anchorage, the North Pacific Fishery Management Council took a small step toward a possible cap on chum salmon bycatch, passing a motion to consider a handful of alternative management schemes. There is already a so-called hard cap on Chinook salmon bycatch, which requires the trawl fleet to be shut down if too many Chinook salmon are caught incidentally. One of the alternatives for chum recommends caps ranging from 200,000 to 550,000 total fish, while another would only put a cap on those chum determined to be of western Alaska origin. Yet another would have caps set based on run strength indicators from the Yukon and Kuskokwim rivers and Norton Sound. Finally, a fourth alternative would allow the Pollock industry to avoid a hard cap on chum bycatch entirely through an incentive-based system. In public testimony as the council met, Tanana Chiefs Conference Chief Chairman Brian Ridley pushed back against the idea of self-managed bycatch. I want to emphasize that voluntary incentive programs self-managed by industry do not create accountability or fulfill the federal trust obligations to tribes. Trusting that commercial fishermen will do the right thing is not a solution on the table. On the other side of the debate, Brent Payne, executive director of Seattle-based Trawler Trade Association United Catcher Boats, testified in support of incentive-based management. We can incentivize individual captains to minimize behavior. We can reward captains that do a good job, and we can penalize captains that do a bad job. On a hard cap, you can't do that. The next step in the council process is creating a federal environmental impact statement for these alternatives. The deadline for the EIS is July 11, 2025. By December 2024, the council says it will make its final decision on which alternative or combination of alternatives to pursue. Critics say the council has repeatedly failed to take any real action on CHUM and that its most recent meeting was no exception. Tim Bristol, executive director of conservation group Salmon State, said economic concerns have skewed the argument. As long as we are stuck in a situation where doing anything to reduce bycatch in a significant way has to be balanced against the profits of those trawlers, I think it's going to be directed fisheries and Yukon Kuskokwim communities that end up losing. Frank Kelty, a fisheries consultant for the city of Unalaska, pointed out in his council testimony that some communities rely on those profits. We're very concerned that uh, if we had a hard cap that was very restrictive and we had a spike in Asian and Russian chums, it would shut down the Pollock fishery, which would be devastating to Unalaska. There are numerous factors muddying the waters when it comes to action that could ultimately cut into Pollock trawler profit margins. One is the need to agree on how many of the chum caught at sea are actually bound for western Alaska rivers. The Council's preliminary analysis cites genetic analysis data going back to 2011, indicating an annual average of around 50,000 western Alaska chum caught by the Pollock fishery, representing roughly 18% of total chum bycatch. But that same analysis notes significant variability in these numbers. Another hotly debated factor is climate change, given that warmer ocean temperatures and a subsequent loss of prey have been linked to chum declines across the North Pacific. To complicate matters further, data indicate that roughly 68% of chum caught by the Pollock fishery are not from Alaska waters, 
but from Asian sources, mostly hatcheries. The combination of these factors, increased competition for a dwindling food supply, could be a double whammy for Western Alaska chum. Association of Village Council Presidents Chief Executive Officer Vivian Corthy has testified that environmental factors should not distract from the need for quick action on bycatch. What is happening in our villages and on our rivers is inequitable. It's unfair. Climate change cannot be used as an excuse not to address the problem we are facing. With years to go until federal regulatory changes could take effect and the potential benefits of drastic changes in management could be examined, the calls to protect Western Alaska chum will likely continue to grow louder. The council's next meeting will be held December 4th through 12th at the Hilton Hotel in Anchorage. In Bethel, I'm Evan Erickson. Only four Petersburg High School wrestlers competed in this weekend's tournament in Juneau. Injuries, grades, and sickness kept most of the team at home. KFSK spoke with Petersburg High School wrestling coach James Valentine. He says those who went to Juneau wrestled hard and it paid off. All four wrestlers placed in the top five for their weight class. I brought Jonas Anderson, Angus Olsen, Caden Duke, and Tanner Collum. Out of those four, I had a fifth place, Caden. I had two runner-ups, Jonas Anderson and Tanner Collum, and one first place, Angus Olsen. So we placed top five out of those four guys, which is, you know, just really, really good. So, like, we individually did very well. Overall, you know, keeping that team uh, intensity and stuff, that's something that we had to kind of, like, cultivate on our own, having less people, you know. And luckily, in Southeast, you know, Southeast love Southeast. Just like at the end of the day, you know, uh, Wrangell's our homecoming town, you know, but at the, we all love each other at the end of the day, so I threw my guys in with it. Wrangell, they had the same intensity, they had the same mindset as we do, so we were able to figure it out, but, you know, it was a learning curve for kind of everybody. Do you want to talk a little bit about specific wrestlers? You, you mentioned mm-hmm. how yeah. they did. Do you want to talk a little bit more about yeah, uh, they're wrestling. Each uh, individual kid did very well. So Jonas is a senior, right? And he, there's only uh, two other guys in our region that can touch him. You know, besides that, he just pins everybody. And that's kind of been his mo since he was young, right? There's always been like one or two in his weight class, kind of always going through high school that would match him, right? And so he found a match, and it was a tough battle, and. It was it, it was a tough battle, and it was just because, like, this person who's tall and a little bit more lanky was able to throw in what we call the boots, throw in legs and leg ride him. And we don't often uh, practice the defense to that, so it was kind of a little bit on my end just being unaware. And I don't know who this kid was, so he kind of came out of the blue for me. So, But overall, I mean, he just, you know... He always fights really hard, so it was just a good match in general, and I like good matches. For me, I've never cared whether you win or lose. Don't care. I just want to see effort. If you go out there and you don't give me effort, I'm more upset that you did that. And, like, if you don't give me effort and win, I'm still more upset about that, right? And then um, Caden Duke. Now, Caden had a rough weekend. You know, he lost two matches on Friday, and the way this tournament was set up is that it's a round robin, and based on your winning percentage of that round robin, then places you in the tournament bracket the next day. He had two tough losses in the beginning. Losses that um, traditionally he wouldn't have lost to, but it, it was just, you know, 
he's at 160 pounds. He's having a hard time kind of keeping that weight, you know, and it's, it's an early season, you know, thing. You're just still trying to wrap your head around it. And so those two early losses kind of set him up to only be able to get as high as fifth. So, like, it's kind of frustrating the way that bracket went because I truly believe he was a second or third place person. But those two early losses kind of set him up to only be go as high as fifth. So, overall, I still think he did great. And then we had a true freshman, um, Tanner Collum. And Tanner has been wrestling, like, you know, for his whole life, right? And it was awesome to see a freshman make finals and really take it to the kid. And it was it was a really fun match. I mean, he's always just has a lot of energy and go, go, go. But being a freshman, you know, make freshman mistakes. And those freshman mistakes cost him the match, really. And it was just like, okay, yeah, that's a senior taking on the freshman. Like, there's the difference right there. And so he ended up taking second, but still, like, just fantastic. He even made it. He just, you know, t- totally earned his spot there. And then last, we have our big heavyweight Angus Olsen, and man, he's just been dominating. You know, from last year to this year, there's been a switch. And then he's he has fire, and he really wants it, which is really cool to see. And so he uh, he went out, and he really earned it. He went out with fire and just, like, just kept taking it to the guy, kept taking it to the guy. And this other guy from Sitka, he's, like, seven feet tall. You know, just these long arms, and, you know, Angus is not that tall, and but anyways, it was just a great battle. I had a champion this weekend. And it sounds like a lot of what you're talking about is the mental stuff. After a meet, um, how much do you sit around with your wrestlers and talk through everything that happened? As much as I can. You know, these these kids nowadays are fortunate that they can, they literally can record their match and watch it not a minute later. You know, any anybody previous, you know, to my years, you can't do that. So, like, we are able to literally watch your match and, like, pinpoint what happened, what can we do. But, you know, it, 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 I, for me, I don't think it's really good to dwell, right? So how, as a coach, do I get them to mentally get back to it? Mm. That's something I'm still learning, too. So you it's know, less like about it. pointing out what they did wrong and more about adjusting your own coaching to help oh, them yeah. know yeah. what to do next. Yeah, the, all these kids mm. have been wrestling for so long. They know how to wrestle. Yeah. But... You will watch, and if you, when we have a home tournament and you are coming to watch, you can see the kid who they both have the same skill, but which one wants it more. You'll see the difference, and the one who wants it more puts in that much more effort, and ultimately that can carry for the six minutes, right? And so, how do I, as a coach, figure out each individual kid, like what motivates you? What makes you like this? Not, not that, like, don't come into this room and dread it how do i make you love the sport again you know and uh for a lot of kids i have to figure that out you know and i'm i'm still trying to figure that out too sometimes you need to help them love the sport again after a meet that that, that's been a little bit challenging oh yeah because you just want to quit because you just don't you just like why am i putting all this effort and not winning well okay maybe maybe you're you're not putting the effort in the right places and maybe that mentality is making is like it's just like that venom that's just kind of keeping you down a little bit mm-hmm. how do i get that out of there do we play more games do i make them work harder probably a little bit of both that was high school wrestling coach james valentine talking with kfsk there is no wrestling meet this coming weekend the following weekend the team will compete in anchorage at the largest tournament in the state for small schools
Vic Fisher, the last living signer of Alaska's Constitution, died Sunday at his Anchorage home. He was 99. Fisher grew up in Berlin and Moscow. His mother was Russian and his father an American foreign correspondent. His father appealed to Eleanor Roosevelt to get the family out of the Soviet Union. And so, as Fisher later told it, his introduction to democracy began with a dinner at the White House with the president and the first lady. He was barely 15. Fisher interrupted his university studies to serve in World War II. By the end of it, he was committed to the values that would guide his life, which he described as liberal and humanistic, including support for the vulnerable and combating racism. He came to Alaska in 1950 and advocated for statehood. Five years later, he was elected to help draft Alaska's constitution. Fisher spoke of it at a 2015 storytelling event. Participating in the Constitutional Convention was a fabulous way of being part of democracy and state building. He was later elected to the last territorial legislature. He said his most important work was co-authoring the repeal of Alaska's death penalty. Which was very important to me based on my abhorrence of the power of the state to kill its citizens, as I had seen in Germany and in Russia. Fisher served two terms in the state Senate as a Democrat. He remained active in politics until his final months. His efforts included the unsuccessful recall of Governor Mike Dunleavy, whose government-slashing agenda, Fisher felt, ran counter to the intent of the state constitution and the achievements of statehood. Alaska's sole U.S. House representative, Mary Palatola, was in Anchorage over the weekend to deliver a congressional report to the Alaska Federation of Natives. KYUK's Emily Schwing reports. Wearing a beaded bolo tie she received from the family of Don Young after her election to the late congressman's seat last year, Mary Peltola took to the stage before a crowd of hundreds who welcomed her with a standing ovation. It was just a year ago I stood before you giving my first address as a member of our congressional delegation and the welcome was just overwhelming. And now, you know, a year later, um, you know. <laughs> Peltola's husband, Eugene Buzzy Peltola Jr., died after a plane crash in September. And following a brief pause, Peltola collected herself to deliver her congressional report. It's been roughly a week since she returned to Washington, D.C., where House Republicans have failed to elect a new speaker. With a collaborative approach, we can help people find common ground and get off high center. We all know what high center means, right, when you're on high center. I've even had to explain this to people from lower 48. They just go blank. They don't even know what high center means. And it's like, that's what we're on right now federally, guys. Um, uh, uh. <laughs> she called for unity and bipartisanship, highlighted a few key accomplishments, including funding and investments in broadband connection, the state's electrical grid, and public infrastructure. Her main focus, though, aligned with the theme of this year's AFN convention, our ways of life. I'm taking an all-of-the-above approach on being pro-fish, which includes re-envisioning how we fit fish into our national food security system and addressing the problems of food insecurity.
The congresswoman attempted to keep her work in Washington, D.C. front and center. After the speech, AFN honored her late husband with a slideshow and a moment of silence. In Anchorage, I'm Emily Schwing. Partly Regional Hospital has named a new chief finance officer. The hospital announced late last Thursday that Joe Wanner will start the job on November 15th. Wanner has moved back and forth between Juneau and Oregon jobs since 2011 when he became Bartlett's controller. He left to serve as CFO of Wallowa County Healthcare District in Oregon from 2013 until 2017, then came back to Bartlett for a year before returning again to the Oregon job. In a statement, he said he was excited to return to Juneau. Wanner replaces Sam Muse, who resigned in August for personal reasons. Former CEO David Keith also retired this summer. Their announcements came shortly after board member and Dr. Lindy Jones told the board that staffing and management problems were leading to inadequate care of behavioral health patients. In late September, the board selected Ian Warden as the interim CEO. Warden is set to start as CEO on October 30th. For KFSK, I'm Hannah Floor.